So I'd just like to say a big hello, everyone out there, wherever you're listening or wherever you're watching. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good night even, maybe where it is. Today on Car Stories, we've got uh, an English gentleman sat next to me in uh, one of the premier British vehicles of our time, Michael Axon. Thank you so much for joining me here on the Peterson's Car Stories. Thank you for having me, James. It's, really uh, we're, uh, it's a tough day again for us today. It's uh, in the 70s here in uh, yep. Malibu area in the hills of Southern California. It's a very difficult day to be out here going for a drive. I, 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 I don't know how we do it in days like uh, this, Michael. The road but conditions are very good. Yes, <laughs> yes, so it's perfect. So uh, obviously we hope you guys enjoy this. And uh, so, but first, Michael, let's start with you. Tell us a little bit about you and your background and how, what was it that got you into cars? Let's start there. So I'm, uh, I left home at 15 and uh, lied about my age and got an engineering apprenticeship and uh, became the apprentice of the year for three years running. Got to 18, had to give my birth certificate in and they said, oh my word, you're 18. You should have been 18 when you started your apprenticeship. You've got to do a second apprenticeship. I know no way am I doing a second apprenticeship. That was hard enough doing one. Sure. And they said, okay, well, we'll sponsor you. You've got a very high IQ. We'll sponsor you for your degree and we'll put you into the design office. You can do a three-year design apprenticeship. Yeah. I said, perfect. So I got into design engineering. And then fast forward a few years, I ended up working for British Aerospace, um, A320 Airbus, A321, Shaw Brothers, uh, RAF Tucano, etc and um, got seconded over to Jaguar Cars and ended up, um, ended up um, um, working on the production line there, installing a couple of CAD systems and actually speeding up the production of that production line. And it was just at the time the XK8 was this new model Ford had taken over from sure. Jaguar, you know, and all their input in there. Uh, so very good times for, for, for Jaguar. And I got the bug. I, I really got the bug. I met up with a guy by the name of Chris Forbes. And um, his company, I think he's still going, is CFS Motors. And he is the guy that restored the president of Pirelli's E-Type Jaguar. Okay, which isn't bad. And him and his buddy Mark did such a good job, because Jaguar was striking the deal with Pirelli, yep. that they set up the shop in Dadley's Wood at the back of Browns Lane, Coventry. And set up their own business, and they became world famous for restoring E-Type Jaguars. I would go down there every week, just meet up with them, and there'd be a container came from Norway. This Jaguar would be in bits, and they would just do a you know rotisserie restoration. And two, three, two years later, they go back to Norway as a finished car. You know. Yep. So what he didn't know about Jaguars wasn't worth knowing. Seriously. Sure. So he persuaded me to buy my first Jaguar, a six-liter. Lister V12 Jaguar XJS. It's um, a lot of car to get the <laughs> first one. It was great in straight lines, but round corners it was very suspect. You know, sure. very suspect. Yeah, mm -hmm. and um, I've got pictures somewhere I can share with you and the viewers at some point. You know, but it was it had the TWR Tom Walkinshaw wheels, and you know, a very nice car. And I had my walnut phone. I was the man, the man about town with my you know walnut phone fitted in the car. Yep. Uh, yeah, I was the the guy that everybody wanted to be. And um, I just got the book. Jaguars, just the smell of them, the feel of them, the everything about them. I just fell in love with Jaguar. You know, uh, luckily I was working there as a consultant, and any repairs, of course, Chris would help me. And um, 
so it didn't cost the normal, you know, mortgage required to keep a Jaguar on the road, you know, because yep. Chris would say, come down, if you help me out a little bit on another car, I'll help you out. Okay, great, you know, so we traded off things and it was a great relationship. I ended up with a TWR XJ6 and, uh, and so forth. So the XK, the XK8 came into play, this revolutionary, you know, uh, where they built the car in two halves and literally stuck it together, this Correct. revolutionary yep. production line. And I, one of the production engineers and design engineers, I ended up having to test drive some of these cars on the Whitley on the test track. And of course they would cover them up with all these horrible black fiberglass panels. Sure. Uh, so nobody on the street could recognize this car. So we would test drive it, you know? Yep. And um, of course I got home one, one day in this car, it was XK8 number eight, British Racing Green with a tan top. Mm -hmm. And my next door neighbour, who was always one up for the Joneses, had got this new XJS and he's showing it off to me. What do you think? You know, hey, he gave me two days of stick all weekend. I couldn't help myself. I removed the fiberglass panels and he absolutely had a baby. <laughs> I just spent all this money on this XJS and what's all my word was this? I was told these weren't available. I said, well, you've got to be in the know, you know? Yeah. I got in a lot of trouble from Jaguar for that. Obviously, I didn't drive it without the panels, but he rode a leather into Jaguar, you know. Very funny, very funny. And got the book for the XK8, you know, what an amazing car, revolutionary, you know, some really good Ford technology went in there, just a really, really nice car. And um, ended up with a Westminster Blue XKR from Royals Jaguar of Cheshire. Okay. And my boy was, oh, was he four years old at the time, three years old, and he would come running out to wash the wheels for me. He was a wheelman, you know? Sure. So he got the bug from three years old. I didn't know what an impact I had on my boy. He's 14 now, and you saw the Jaguar Racing Green XKR in our shop. Yes. He bought that. He did. At 12 years old, saying, Dad, this is my first car driving to school. Perfect. And I'm like, okay, what's it gonna cost me? And he said, I struck a deal with this French guy. I got it for $10,000. Okay. It, it looked an absolute mess. Uh, the bodywork looked, you know, was the paint was dull and so forth. Anyway, we spent four days buffing it up, and as you saw, it was like brand new. No, oh, it looks immaculate. Two spare wheels, so even he has the bug now. It's amazing how it passes on, isn't it, a generation? I just hope you've got him on, uh, he's paying all his insurance dues and whatnot for it at this stage. Uh, well, he's not driving at the moment, he's 14, so it stays, it stays in the man cave at the moment, you know? But yeah, he, um, he, uh, can't wait to drive it, you know. And so how many cars have you got in the man cave then, Michael? 14 or 15 cars, all English for obvious reasons. No disrespect to any other country, but you know, God save the Queen, and I find them with English cars. So we have, I don't know what it is, um, eight or nine Jaguars, is it? Yeah, I think so. Um, a little MGB Roadster, a little Midget, a little Lotus 11. And even across the other side, the exotic side that you saw was the McLaren MP412C in Volcano Orange. And then we had the Jaguar SVR, the brand new one, and then the XKRS. Um, again, I can tell you the history on all those cars as well at some point through the interview. You know, there's some really good stories on those cars. Yeah. But, um, the car that we're driving at the moment is a, is a, a 1968 type coupe 2 plus 2 um, and it was bought by a guy by the name of Larry yes in 1968 yep. he paid $5,500 for it it was in a old English white when he bought it 
and he got to 1973 and Jaguar brought out this metallic green and he had to have it so he sent it back to Jaguar and had it repainted in this beautiful metallic sort of racing green you know and I'm glad he did. It, yeah, it's it, a, it is a truly wonderful colour and the really viewers will get to out. see that obviously yes, in the... absolutely. When we uh, have the wonderful technical team come to the flyaways and they right. sprinkle their magic on it. Right. But, so, sorry, carry on. No, I was going to say, so your background is engineering, but what is it that you currently do now? What is your focus now? What was it that brought you here to the US? Because obviously I might distinct, I sense a little bit of an accent there right. as well. Right. So, I ended up um, working for aircraft design companies and, and back in the day Margaret Thatcher decided in her wisdom to sell the rights to the RAF Chicano to be built in Saudi Arabia, in Jeddah of all places, which wasn't the place to be as an Englishman. Anyway, I had to go over to Jeddah and we were having to ship all the tools over to this huge airbase and had to measure and draw it to make sure everything fitted in. Sure. So the first day I'm measuring and drawing, I came out and the two security guards with submachine guns pointed them at me and said, you're not leaving this airbase with those critical dimensions and drawings or I will shoot you. Oh, here are the drawings, sir. I, uh, I uh, think we need to come up with some idea of yeah, measuring and drawing an airbase without getting shot, right? Yeah, it's an ideal. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I figured while I'm using a handheld laser, it must be a digital, it's a digital measurement. Why can't we somehow transmit that into a computer into our CAD system? Has anybody done this before? Nobody had. Yeah. I said, wow, here's a wacky idea. What if we could measure and draw buildings in real time and walk away with the CAD drawing or indeed upload it to a cloud or a secure server without these security guards knowing? No, we could, it's all secure, right? So I ended up partnering with a German company and we developed the world's first laser to CAD measuring system. I ended up over in Dubai working with the Crown Prince, measuring his entire Army, Navy and Air Force base. Okay, which then would probably keep you busy for a little bit. Uh, it was two years. Yep. yep. Uh, but the trick was, we couldn't do it ourselves, we had to train their staff so we weren't taking jobs. Okay. Great. So I trained all the young soldiers and Air Force people to do it, you know. It was a great gig, really enjoyed it. Ended up, they, they put me up at the uh, United Arab Emirates Officers Club for two years. Which isn't very bad. Which was very good, yes. <laughs> and, uh, uh, I made a lot of good friends, and then I got a phone call out of the blue from Bank of America, some in Bank of America, and they said, um, we've read a white paper that you've written. Um, you know, could you come over and look at measuring banks? Could you measure banks? And I said, I, I, well, of course, if I can measure an airbase, I can measure a bank. Yes. You know? Yes, we have an issue. It was back in 2006, seven. I'm going to say. And they had a class action lawsuit against them, which is public knowledge. And it was um, ADA class action lawsuit. They hadn't, you know, lots of people were getting together and suing retail companies because they couldn't, the door weight was too heavy, the ramp was too high, you know, and winning money. Yep. So Bank for America said, we've no idea which of our branches are ADA compliant or not. I said, uh -huh. wow. And this could cost us billions. Yes. So we went to one of the biggest architects in the US. Which I think was Gensler at the time, and said, how long would it take you to measure and draw 3,500 banks? And they said, eight years. <laughs> so, so Bank of America said, oh my word, that would be billions of dollars in eight years. Michael, how long would it take you to measure 3,500 banks? So I said, two years. So the boss of Bank of America said, well, two, two years is better than eight, surely. Yeah, that, that's outrageous. I, I, don't, I don't care if you're the 
King of England, you can't come over here from Dubai and measure in that short amount of time. If Gensler can't do it, you, can, you can't do it. So, um, I said, well, I told you two years, because really I can do it in a year. Yeah. But I told you two years just to play safe, right? A year! This is outrageous. So one of the other bosses of Bank of America said to me, you're serious, you can do this. I said, well, I wouldn't have flown from Dubai and told you I could do this. I'm, I don't really need the gig, I don't need the job. I'm very happy in Dubai, thank you. So he said, um, well, how do we go from here? How do we proceed from here then? Well, do you want the balance measuring? He said, yes. So I said, so what happens now? Uh, do we have a contract or... I'm in, I'm in England, I don't even live in America. I don't have a team here. I mean, I, I've got to put a team together, but I can do it. But he said, well, how do you work in England? Well, grandfather told me you spit on your hand and we shake hands. hands. So we, we spat on our hands and we, we, we grabbed hands and the boss of Bank of said, whoa, hang on a minute. And he wouldn't let go of my hand. What happens if you fail? Oh, I didn't think about that. And he wouldn't let go of my hand. Yep. I went, oh, um, I said, I said, okay, here's the deal. If I'm one bank short of 3,500 in one year, and it's my fault, that means you've given me access to all the banks, and it's my fault, you do not pay for a single bank. He said, deal. Deal. Isn't it a bad deal for his end? So I called my wife and children and said we may be losing the house, the dogs and everything but it's worth a gamble. Do you fancy going to America? And my wife said, where's America? I, it's this big place away from Dubai. Okay, so we flew and we ended up in a place called Tampa, Florida. And um, it's very hot and sticky. And it certainly is in Tampa but there's no, uh, the taxes are quite good out there absolutely. if I remember. And I ended up hooking up with the Kelly Engineering Group who had a big office in Tampa and I said I need about a hundred people like this week, yep. and they have to be able to, you know, uh, work AutoCAD. I'll train them on my system, and okay. And we just had literally reams of people coming through their office, and um, I ended up getting about 50, 60 people, and then I ended up partnering with a company from Woodland Hills here called Pace Compumetrics. Okay. I think it was Terry and Jody Resnick and the family, really nice family. And together we ended up measuring and drawing 3,500 banks in nine, nine months and three weeks we finished. That's not too bad then. And got the deal. So we became just overnight, it was like all the banks and retail spaces, well can we use you? So fast forward 10 years and we have eight, 900 people out in the field measuring and drawing Bank. banks. Oh, and buildings and, and whatever buildings else. And, and, and Chick-fil-A's and McDonald's and you know, and LaserCAD LLC was born and, and we we work for all the corporate clients when there's an acquisition or a remodel or a takeover and and then we developed a cloud-based solution so instead of just sending these things via email or on a memory stick yep we worked with google and partnered with them we created a map of america every building that we measure becomes a green pin the client can just search for any green pin and there are the as-built drawings and we developed 360 photography i'm the guy that developed that 10 years ago yep so now all those banks and retail spaces have Google Earth for inside their stores. Ah. So they can go on our cloud, click onto any bank, and go into any the restrooms, the safety deposit box, anywhere, and see it in 360. That's fun. So Bank of America used to send five flooring vendors, five lighting vendors, five architects to all bid on a remodel. Yep. 40 people had to have access to every branch. Can you imagine that? That's a lot of people. So I said, what if I could bring 2,000 banks to your 40 people and they never leave their desk. 
Yes, we saved we saved one major bank that we're working with over a hundred million dollars in travel last year. Yeah. Because they're not shipping all these people, of course, you know. Of course. So, so it just you know, and and then of course I realised what a great place to drive. <laughs> I um, my my wife at the time said this is really sticky and hot in in Tampa, Florida. She said, can we think about Malibu? I said Malibu, and I got. The Malibu bottle off the shelf, and it's got palm trees, and I knew you know, it. yeah. And we flew over, we flew over to uh, Calabasas, and had a drive down Malibu. And it didn't look like anything like what the white bottle showed me, you know. But it was pretty, right? Yeah. And we ended up getting a house in Calabasas and staying. Yeah. So it was uh, a really good place to live, and the weather compared to England is. Amazing. There's a little bit of a difference there, I'd say that, especially yeah. between uh, Manchester. Yes. Yes. Where I will say that there is the phrase "it always rains in Manchester" is true about 95% of the it time. Is. It it's is. true 100% of the time that yeah. I've ever been to Manchester. Yes. Where it's rained every single day I've been in Manchester. Yep. But since I'm not from there, I could, I wouldn't say I didn't want to give it a that's such a bad rap. Right. Yeah, and. Um, I ended up measuring and drawing murder scenes for Scotland Yard and you name it, I've done it. You know, it's been a great, from being an aircraft design engineer to, wow, you know, I've met so many great people on my travels and just enjoy traveling the world and meeting people, but this and is home, I think, now. Certainly, and then, so speaking of that, with all these cars that you have, you must have some favorite roads that you like to go on or places that you like to go in them. What are some of the ones that you like around here, and if not just here in Southern California, but otherwhere else in the States, so... And May, even stretching mainly, it further, yeah, may, go mainly Southern California. In the you know, we're driving down PCH now. It doesn't get any better than this. The ocean on one side, the canyons on the other side. At any moment, you can take a right and have a great drive through the canyons, can't you? You know, yep. Back to civilization. I love the drive back through the canyons when you can see snippets of the ocean. You know, driving, driving over the canyons, a bit of breeze. Uh, just an amazing feeling and. There aren't that many cars, you know, you know in England, you go on the, free, you know, you, you, any road is, is blocked, you know? Yes. And, and, that, and even if the weather was good, you saw a lot of traffic here, you can always seem to drive, well, bar the 405, of course, but you can always seem or to the drive. Ten. Or the 10. Or yeah. the 5. <laughs> stay off the freeway, yeah. Yeah, stay, as long as you can stay off the freeways, you're good. I think my favourite road to drive is Mulholland, I have to say, and that's legendary. I mean, Clarkson, Jeremy Clarkson from Tokyo, all the major... Uh, press people know of Mulholland, don't they? And I particularly like going on to Cornell, taking a left past Paramount Ranch. You know, yep. I have a Jaguar C-Type, you know, and, and these cars uh, raced there back in the 50s. I think it was open for about three years, wasn't it, Paramount Ranch? And there's parts of the track still there. So I really enjoy driving round through Paramount Ranch and then on to Mulholland and either take a right up the Snake mm -hmm. or take a left back onto Lost Virgins, Malibu Canyon, and back down to the coast. Anywhere you go around here is such an amazing drive, isn't it, you know? It is. Um, it is a very nice place to be. But it's the people, don't you find? If you stop for a coffee, and you're in a car like this, an E-Type or a C-Type, I will get five, six, seven, eight people coming up saying hello. I've met so many great people and made so many great friends driving yep. here in California. That culture, that that's what's really, I, I enjoy about driving the cars here. No, it's certainly one of the things. And obviously we have the Peterson Museum here, which is another great uh, emphasis for why there is so much of car culture here in Southern California. 
Correct. And again, I, I, I attend, you know, the, 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 the events there at the Peterson parking lot. You know, I'll, I'll take a Ferrari, I used to have a Ferrari to take and uh, all the different cars there. But the great thing about the Peterson I found, you know, originally when I first came over here 10 years ago, you could go to the Peterson over a year and nothing much had changed. Yes. I enjoyed it because I'm a car guy, you know? Yep. But then after the remodel, I've got to say, I take clients now, I'm a Checker Flag member now, mm -hmm. definitely worth the investment that, that, that we made in that. I take clients there, friends there. My daughter's coming over from England for her 30th birthday. She wants to go with her husband. Certainly. You know? And I know that when I go there, it will it will have changed. You, you're changing the exhibits all the time now. That's absolutely what it needed. It was getting a little bit, you know, it would get stagnant. You see the same cars for a year running. Now, I think I can go every week and there's something different. Yeah, yeah it, it makes it handy when you've got an elevator in it, which you didn't have yes. before. That's yes. a, that's yes. that certainly makes it easy to move the cars around. Absolutely, yes. And um, I, I just find it amazing. I, I see something new and learn something, and then of course the the uh, what do you call the gentlemen and ladies who talk about the cars on the the docents. The docents, yeah, they are so knowledgeable. You know, the only time I beat one of your docents in knowledge power was the. The to die end of the day Jaguar. Yes, which we have. He and was going to tell Hollywood me cars. a little bit about that, and, and I, I had a story about driving it in Browns Lane and having the gun come up and spinning it around, and he was amazed. So now I believe he tells that story about Peterson. He met this English guy who actually drove this car, you know. So. Yeah, I mean, it's certainly, yes, we've got the great uh, the docents there are fantastic who help and give the, the tours and the vault and whatnot. And then we also have obviously the collections manager who's very knowledgeable. Yep. And then the curator, Leslie, who certainly who if you have don't know who Leslie is, you can always find him on our Honda video, which we did just a few episodes back, in which we talked to Leslie right. about his love of being the curator there and how he came on board. But no, it is a, an exceptional place to be. And Bruce Myers, for instance, I mean he you know, I don't know whether your viewers and listeners know he's a legend, you know. I remember going to the Peterson two, three years ago with James. Yep. He was probably 11 at the time. James was looking at uh, a Mercedes. R Bruce Myers, of all people, comes up, taps him on his shoulder, and just starts talking and explaining all that Mercedes. And I was like, speechless. And James, you know who this? He went, no, but he's a great guy. And Bruce didn't know who we were, just such a friendly, knowledgeable guy, and shared his love of cars with my son, you know? Yeah. Amazing. There's nowhere else you get that. You know? Also, one people think that also people know Bruce for being a 200 miles per hour club member and being on the chairman of the board there at the museum, on the board I should say at the museum. But also very knowledgeable about candles. Very knowledgeable about candles. If I ever need to know about candles, I just go talk to Bruce about candles. Right. And he's on point. Knows everything about candles, Michael. So just fun candles. fact there. Yes. Okay. All because of a store in Beverly Hills. Okay, I'll, uh, I'll look into that. Candles. Bruce yeah. Myers and candles. And, uh, okay. Exactly. No, it's a great... knows everything about candles. Okay. Anything okay. you can imagine. Wicks, size, width, everything. All about the candles. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, not a lot of people do. He tries to keep it on the down low. So it's a, it's a little secret Easter egg a that we got out passion. of him. Uh, yeah. Passion. Okay. Yeah. So what is it that you like driving about this car in particular then? So this car is a 1968 Jaguar XKE. And I always, when I buy a car, I try and buy a car that has a story or there's something about it that I enjoy to tell other people about, you know? Yep. And um, we were 
we hadn't got a lot of money in those days. We were looking for, I'd always wanted an inside Jaguar. Of course, the Roadsters and the Coupes Series 1s were way out of my reach. In those days, they were even then 130, dollars $140,000. There's no yep. way it was like gonna, you know, with three kids, buy a, buy a car like that. Yeah, it's a bit pricey. So I had my Jaguar XK8. I used to drive down Malibu Canyon Road to the Starbucks there. Mm -hmm. Holland, where Tony Taverna is and all that, you know. And this gentleman called Larry, he must have been in his 90s, would turn up in this car, park up, but he'd always overshoot the stoplight. I could never work out why. I went, Larry, why do you always shoot, overshoot the stoplight? He said, because the brakes don't work. <laughs> oh, he said, I'm trying to judge, and every week they get worse and worse, and I have to keep judging the distance. So I went, shouldn't you get the brakes done? No, 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 it's knee time, it just keeps going. I've not done anything to it since 1968. What? Wow. So this car has driven since 1968. You've had no engine rebuild. No, 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 it just keeps going. Okay, you know you could die, Larry. Well, what a way to go. Uh, okay, Larry. I so, mean, he's in his 90s at yeah, that point. Yeah, exactly. So he's, he's had a good life. What, right. what, which way would you want to say? I went out <laughs> yeah. in an E-Type Jag. I mean, yeah, it's a good yeah. story. Yeah. For everyone so, else to tell about you, since you won't be there to hear it again. Absolutely. Or tell it. So he said, my wife's persuading me to stop driving. I really shouldn't be driving. I can't see, I can't hear. <laughs> okay, Larry. He said, when I come to eventually stop driving, would you like to buy this car off me? And I said, sure, I, I, I would love to buy this car, but at the right price. It's a two plus two, which, you know, in those days, it was sort of known as the sort of bastard, if you like, of the XAs. Yeah, it wasn't quite it was, as popular, let's no, put it that way. because it had a higher roof, it yeah. was nine inches longer, it was, mm -hmm. you know. So I said, sure, if this gets me into an E-Type, I absolutely. He said, okay, it's going to cost you $30,000. I said, okay, I'll start saving. He said, you know, I'm thinking a year or so, I'll stop. I said, that's great. I'll, you know, it needed a lot doing to it, obviously. It definitely needed brakes. And um, so I keep going down for about six months and we, you know, hey, Larry, how's it going? And this particular week, he didn't turn up. I never saw the guy again. I, wow. I figured the guy must have passed away, you know? Yep. Um, Plus, obviously, and hopefully, he passed away in the E-Type, is what you were thinking, going out absolutely. fiery ball of flames, yes, like off know, the cliff. Yeah. Yes, like a, like a Thelma and Louise. Exactly. And him and his wife decided to, yep. you know, go off the cliff. So, two years went by. I'd forgotten all about the car, I'd forgotten about Larry, and the, the phone went, and it was... I answered the phone, and he went, it's, it's Larry! It's Larry! Larry who? Larry! The Jaguar Larry. I went, you're alive? <laughs> of course I'm alive, I just phoned you. Oh, okay, I thought you'd passed away, Larry, you know? What do you mean you thought I'd passed away? Well, I've not seen you for two years. Yeah, she made me stop driving, I had a near miss, and... Well, the E-Type's okay, is it? He said, yeah, the E-Type's fine. Okay, that's all that matters. Yeah, as long, see, as, but, yeah, fine. As, long as the car's fine, yeah, I'm not too I'm, worried about you. Yeah, yeah. So, he said, coming over, I'm ready to sell the car. So I said, okay. So I went over to his house and a uh, real nice elderly couple, you know. I said, Larry, you know that this is worth a little bit more money now. It's probably worth about forty. Yeah, I'd like to give you forty thousand dollars for it. Are you renading on the deal? You youngsters, you know, you youngsters, you're renading on the deal. No, Larry, I'm trying to pay you some more money. Yep. And he said, um, No, no, stop, don't don't you renade on the deal. I, I said thirty, you promised thirty. No, Larry, I'm trying to pay you more 40, money. More money. Can I speak to you? Do you have a son or a daughter? Sure. So I found the son that said, don't argue with my dad. <laughs> if he said 30, just give him 30 and walk away. I said, well, I'm trying to give him more money. Forget it. He, he, he won't listen to you. I went, okay. 
I gave him the 30 and we drove the car away. Well, tried to drive the car away, should I say. Yes. So we, uh, it was Santa Monica, we get on the, on the 405, mm -hmm. and first gear went first, second, and it went straight into third. So we're trying to get up the hill of the 405 in third gear. Which is kind of difficult. A bit of smoke me out the back. Yeah. Uh, the windscreen was rattling in and out, and you know, it was quite interesting. My boy at the time, I don't know what he was then, eight or nine, was, you know, this is really exciting, Dad. Are we going to make it home? I don't know whether we're going to make it home soon, but you know. So uh, we got it home and started tinkering. You know, we pulled the engine, we pulled the hood up, and it's all black, and of course there were no brakes. And we started working on it ourselves. You know, I had a local mechanic that helped me. Sure. And bit by bit, we started. We did the brakes first? Because uh, that's obviously important. Yep. Uh, it's we got, the, we to got stop. the windscreen back in because yep. that's important. I didn't want to get sucked out of the windscreen, and then. Started working on it and, and started cleaning it up bit by bit. It took us two, three, four years, just you know, novices a bit of by bit. We buffed it all up to get it to this condition. Yep. The 120 door dings that his wife had put down the side in the garage, we had uh, Vince from the Disappearing Dent. He's been doing dents for 30, 40 years. He's yep. here in Thousand Oaks. He's made a lot of dents disappear then over that time. He came out and he went, wow, this is, I've never seen a car with this many dents. I said, I'm just saying. <laughs> um, he said, this will be a challenge. Mm -hmm. And he got about 102 of them out, 103 of them out. You know, there's just a few we had to touch up. Yeah. But didn't most of it. So, um, then of course it was in such a condition, I thought I'd take it out to my first sort of big car show. And it was up uh, Pasadena way somewhere. I'm flying down the 101. And all of a sudden I hear this knocking. Da -da 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 oh my word. And indeed, we threw a, we threw a rod bearing. This Larry had never really had it serviced. Well, we did an oil change, but you know. Yeah. So I got it off the freeway right away, and it was you know got it on a, on a, on a trailer, and we got it back to my mechanic. He said, "Yeah, this is engine out, rod bearing." I said, "Oh my word! I've just got the car to a point that I'm enjoying driving it." Well, he said, "It's going to be a few months. Got to get the engine out and rebuild it." And, oh, I can't be without the car for a few months. Well, I'll try and get a used engine. Good luck, he said, they're about $20,000. Oh <laughs> my word. So then she came across Chucky's Auto Salvage. Okay. I think they were in Ohio somewhere. And uh, eBay said 1974 Jaguar Coupe, 4.2, you know, had a 4.2 engine project car. We're crushing it at the end of the week. And apparently this guy had driven it in, sat on an orange crate, it had no interior, and they was going to crush it. Yeah. You know? I said, I want some bits off the engine, Mrs. Chucky, it was his wife. She went, oh, I don't think he's got time to start pulling bits off the engine. It's the engine or nothing. Well, if I've got to take the whole engine, I guess I've got to take the whole engine. So Chucky gets on the phone. He said, I haven't got time to start pulling transmissions off. Just, you have to take the whole thing. I went, okay, I'll take the engine and transmission. And he said, uh, I feel a bit cheeky. He was $1,000 too expensive. And that's rough. Really, that's yeah, rough. rough. I yeah. said, oh, you've hit Chucky, me there. Hit me, uh, really. Chucky, I don't really... Okay, I'll throw shipping in, but it's going to take six weeks to get to you. You know, okay, done deal. So sure enough, the engine arrives at my mechanic's place. He said, where did you get this from? All I know is, it's a running engine. So he said, I'm going to pull the sump and have a look up. Sure enough, the engine had been re rebuilt. Fairly recently. Yep. So he threw that engine in, and it drove. What? It burned a bit of oil, but it drove. So I said, so now you've got a year to rebuild my engine, right? Great, so we ran that engine for a year, and the minute mine was finished, we swapped them back over, 
and indeed Chucky's engine is in my shop on an engine on a stand and I have it on display. Ready to go just if needed in case, again. Yeah. Just in case I have another one in the goes. So, you know, yeah. All's well that ends well. Exactly. So next was the interior and uh, my son said, Dad, we need to change this interior. There's a rip in this seat and so forth. Okay, let's just do the uh, driver's seat first. So we do the driver's seat. Oh, that looks odd now. Now we need to do the passenger seat. What about the centre console? What about all the other, oh my word, so 240 leather components later and $8,000 out of my pocket, we ended up redoing the whole interior. I mean, you should have just gone to Chucky's, surely we'd have done uh, yeah, a deal on that interior, at that yeah. point, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but it was worth it, you know, it was a lot of fun. No, it is, it's incredibly beautiful inside. I mean, the leather, it smells great, looks great. Yeah. It really sets it all off to a T, I will say that. Yeah. But. This is not a show car. You know, I have to tell you, James, all my cars are drivers. We do not get a car and purposely restore it. We get a car because it's a driver. They have to drive well. So, um, so any car, and usually we don't go and look for cars. James and I aren't looking to build our collection at all. You know, yep. it happened by accident. Okay. At least that's what I told my ex-wife. It sure. happened by accident. Yep. You know? yep. It went from one to 14 cars by accident. And um, we'll get, you know, somebody will say, hey, Michael, we know you've got an English car collection, we've got this. Turn around here. Oh, uh, here. Anyway, one. Okay. So, you know, for instance, the little MGB, you know, we had a friend of a friend of a friend who wasn't so well, and um, we was having to head back to England, and his wife wanted to sell the little, M the little orange MG, and we struck a good deal on it, and ended up in the collection, you know, it's just people find us, we don't find people. Sure, and that little MG's had a few other modifications made to it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, some twin Webbers, and, you know, we lowered it and made it a little faster, of course. So, and, it, and it even has its own TV fame, is that correct? Yeah, well, yes, it was actually, it starred in one of the Let Go, you know, the let, let, Time to Let Go adverts? Yes. And there was, uh, it was meant to be set in the sort of, this guy bought it in the 70s and he's plushing it, it's his dream car, and he's got his headphones on, he's bopping away, he was on Velocity a few weeks ago, and um, the camera pans across, and of course his wife's pregnant, she's shouting across, time to let it go, honey, just let it go, you know, and he's crying, and you know, well, it's typical let, let it go adverts, you know. Yeah. And then the C-Type, that was an interesting story, the C-Type, we, um, we ended up going to this photo shoot, I had no idea who he was, and it was Kate Hudson. Oh. That's fun then. Yeah, so uh, I've got photographs of Kate Hudson fell in love with the C-Type and we ended up spending the day together. It was fant absolutely fantastic. I mean, it's not, not bad company to be spending the day with, really, is Correct. it? No, no, not bad at all. Not bad at all. So she said, do you think we could um, go for a drive in this? And I said, sure. So what English guy has Kate Hudson in a white bathroom in a Jaguar C-Type driving down PCH? I mean, look, it's... It's not a bad place to be. I said we're screwed, and she said, why are we screwed? I said, we can't go to moon shadows now, you're in a white bathroom. Yeah. That's not going to go down very well, you know? Should I can take it off? No, 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 it's okay, <laughs> let's get back, let's get back. We're good, we're good, you know? Yeah, so I've met a lot of good people, a lot of good people. Yeah, it's certainly one thing at, uh, in the car community. It's full of wonderful people who are very friendly, and that's what we like about it. Yeah, it, it really equalizes cars, sort of equalize people, don't they, you know? Yeah. Car is a common denominator between two people of race or creed, or obviously you get some of the car guys that are the opposite to Bruce Myers. You know, Bruce Myers is your typical friendly, come for driving my car, I'll show you. But then you get other people who 
unfortunately, don't even touch my car. You know, you go to a car show, I do a lot of work with homeless kids, you know? Yep. And I took about 10 of my cars down to this kid's home, you know, to share with the children the cars, and I wanted them to sit in the cars. A guy next to me in a 72 Plymouth Barracuda or something, screaming at the kids, don't even, don't touch my car, don't go, near, don't go within six foot of the car. I mean, sir, we're in a children's home. <laughs> you know, what's going to happen? The kids are going to come up, they're going to put some fingerprints on the car. We can yes. wipe them off afterwards, seriously. I don't want they're going to scratch the car. And, oh, seriously, we shouldn't be here, really, you know? Yes, my father-in-law is a big one for going to car shows and trying to put as many hands on anything as possible. It drives me crazy, but right. he loves it. He's all about it. Right. He's a real tie. He likes getting yeah. in there. He likes getting the fingerprints on everything. Right. Uh, bless his little cotton socks. Michael Moore, he loves getting in there and right. getting the cars. He's, he's in the first thing he's like, he's like, next thing he's like, James, James, what would this be like on the highway? We should right. take this out on the highway. Uh, no, I do stop. Uh, I, I do stop at one point. We were at the Calabasas Pumpkin Festival. The mayor had asked us to take some of the old cars down and line them up, you know, with Coastline Motorsport and a few other companies sure. down there. And I had about 10 cars lined up. The little Lotus 11, which looks like Speed Racer, right? It maybe. does, yep. Green with a yellow stripe down. You know, it looks just like a Speed Racer, the shape and everything. Driven by Sterling Moss in 57 and Monza, that car. So we park it up. I don't know what it is, a million dollars. It doesn't matter what it is. We park it up. We want people to see it. So my boy says, Dad, I think you better look over the Lotus. I said, why? I look over and there's two children jumping up and down on the hood. <laughs> and their respective parents thought it was some toy car that they could jump up and down in. Yeah, it's, which is not really the case. And I said, sir, your children are jumping all over my car. Oh, this is a real car. Yes, this is a real car from 1957. Uh, oh, what's it worth? $1.2 million. Get off the car! Children, get off <laughs> the car! Oh, thank, thank you, sir. Thank well, you. it's a good story. It's an yeah. important thing. It's a good story. It's all good fun. Yeah, know? it is. I got the little, you know, size three Vans prints, <laughs> Vans shoe prints off the hood. Yeah, yeah they came off. Buffed them straight yeah, out. They, they came straight out, yeah. 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 So, uh, with that then, is there any other cars that you'd like to take to the track as opposed to just being on the roads? Yeah, I mean, I like to take the older cars to the track. You know, I, I don't... You know, I've got a McLaren MP412C, but I'm not a track guy, I would say. You know, yep. I, I, there's a friend of mine from Leap Payments. He's got an office next door to me. He really is a track guy. He's, persu he's trying to persuade me to go and take the McLaren or the... You know, I've got the Jaguar SVR, mm -hmm. the 201 legendary mile an hour, 201 mile an hour car. Yes. Titanium exhaust and all the rest of it. Um, you know, we've got the McLaren MP412C in Volcano Orange, and then we have the... Quite a rare Jaguar XKRS, only one of about five in the French blue. But uh, I, I enjoy driving them on the roads, you know. I'm always worried you're getting on a track, you're going to spin off, or, you know. Sure. I don't know. I always think the opposite. I'm like, well, if you spin off, if you go off on the track, there's a lot more room before you come to hit anything. That's what right, my right. logic on it. Right, right. That's correct. But yeah. then again, I always think as well, well, those three cars, or four cars in particular, right. they're kind of difficult because they are quite powerful right. and they go quite fast. Correct. So I always think it's like, look, you're in a small, uh, less powerful car, and then when you feel you can be giving it more ten tenths and going full limit, and then it's not as bad as you think it is. Right. Right. Uh, right. Well, you get... yeah, they do lull you into a false sense of security with all the computer-aided, you know, computer-aided technology in the cars. You can be going a lot faster than you, you think. Oh yes, you know? and um, you get a lot faster right. than you think very, very quickly. Right. And it doesn't feel it. In that no. Car. No. It feels yeah. very comfortable, very luxurious. Yes. Correct. Correct. Yeah. 
even if you haven't put it in sport mode and you just put your foot down, it gets there Correct. pretty quick. Correct. And then it's pretty quiet as well when it gets there. Yes. Well, apart from the SVR with the titanium exhaust, that's yes. the loudest. Oh my word, that is so loud. I had a cop stop me once, he said, can you put the original Luffler back on? I said, this is the original Luffler. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir, this is the way it is. Are you kidding me? I said, no, look, I, I showed him the dynamic switch and everything, and he said, wow. And talking of the police, I have a good, actually have a good rapport with any local police. You know, I do a lot of charity work. Yep. You raise money for the Valley Traffic Division. You know, they're really underfunded by the state. So we, we do a lot of work with them, raising money, and I also, homeless kids, and also occasionally I'll get, you know, a family who've, who's got a terminally ill child who'll call me and say, can we bring our child and hang out for the day at the car place? I've got a popcorn machine, put some movies on, and we take him out in different cars. You know, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, a few Sundays ago, I uh, got a phone call or an email saying, hey, we've, you know, they'd come over from Australia and their child had been in a house fire, hadn't got too long to live, it damaged all his lungs and so forth, coming to LA to get some more treatment. Can we meet you at your car place at 8 o'clock Sunday morning? I said, sure. So my phone was just going off the hook at like 6.30. What? This is a weird number. Answer it, and it's an Australian number. Oh, they're there an hour and a half early. Well, you've got to be keen. But where my car place is, there aren't any Starbucks or stores. It's a secret location. You know? It is, because everyone's secret man cave, or right. cave in general, is going to be a secret location. I'm like, oh, my word. I, I said, okay, I'm going to get a shower. I'm going to rush down there as quick as I can. I said, there won't be any police around, of course. You know, at 7 o'clock in the morning, I'll, I'll just race down there and get to you. Uh, are you going to be okay? Do you have water? Do you have, yeah, we'll be okay for about half an hour. I said, okay. So I jump in the shower, I get changed, and I'm in the Jaguar C-Type, which you've seen, right? Yep. Jump in, I've got my leather hat on, my goggles, coat. I'm flying down the 101, get past uh, Melinda, just approaching Reese Adobe, and I can see blue lights in the mirror. Oh my word. Seven o'clock in the morning, this cannot be happening to me. So he pulls me off on Canaan. So I'm trying to turn left to go to the car place. Oh no, he's forcing me to go right. He's got his sunglasses on. And... Mm -hmm. Okay. Of course, we're going to the Chevron gas station where we, we met earlier today. And of course, it's full of Hell's Angels going on a ride. <laughs> of course! All applauding and clapping, and oh my word, uh, is my morning going to get any better? Yes. They're all giving the police officer a hard time. And I'm like, shh, please, please, you know. So the officer gets off his bike and comes up to me and he said, um, 117. I said, what? He said, 117. I said, sir, that is outrageous for a speeding ticket. In England, it's like 50 bucks. Yeah. $117 for a speeding ticket? My word, that's outrageous. He said, what? $117. That's outrageous. I've got to pay you now. He said, miles an hour. Get out of here! I'm like T53 Jaguar, there's no way! This doesn't way. go this fast. The speedo was giving it that, I, I, I'm running a bit late. Okay, tell me the story, why are you running late? I said, I can't. He said, what do you mean you can't? I said, that would be so disrespectful to tell you why I'm running late. I can't use why I'm running late as an excuse, you know, I, I, I couldn't do that. And clear conscience and everything. I, I couldn't do it. I said, you, if you're going to give me a ticket, give me the ticket. I, I, I can't give you the excuse. He said, well, you need to give me the excuse before I give you the ticket. I said, well, I'm not going to give you the excuse. So we're going to be here a long time. He said, where are you from? I said, Manchester, England. Do you have an American license? I've got my pink English license, and I have got a California license. 
he said, well, you better give me a license. Okay, oh my word. And they're all chapping, clapping and cheering, these Hells Angels, of course, you know. So, he goes into his back white pouch on his bike, and I thought, oh, he's going to give me a ticket. He came back, he's on the radio talking to somebody, and he came back and he said, you know my captain, do I? Yeah, Andrew, my captain. Oh, I do, I've done some charity work with him. He said, thank you for all the charity work you do. I said, well, I don't want that to get off a speeding ticket, obviously, if you're going to give me a ticket. No, no, no. He said, I'm not going to give you a ticket. I'm actually not on shift yet. <laughs> I know, you made me sweat. So he said, 117 and you were slowing down. I saw your brake lights. Could you keep it under 100, please? Now can you tell me the reason? Okay, officer. I have a dying child outside my unit. I could not give you that as a reason, seriously. You know, I couldn't have a conscience. And I, and I said, they're waiting for me. They called me, they were there an hour and a half early. I, I was just ready. There's no other car on the freeway. I was the only car on the freeway, right? He said, yeah, I noticed. I, I, I heard the thing go first. And then I saw it. I saw your goggles flapping and your hat flapping. I, I just had to stop you. I saw, thank you so much for not giving me a ticket. I said, hang on a minute. When are you on shift? He said, eight o'clock. I said, it's 7.20. Could you give me a police escort? <laughs> he went, what? Give me a police escort, come on. It's just around the corner of my car place. The kid's gonna love it. Put your blue lights on, come on. He went, okay. So he puts his lights on, everybody's clapping. We come around the corner and what a great sport. He pulls his bike into my shop. We sit the kid on the bike. He radios in, I'm gonna be late. You know, what a great- What a great guy. Great guy, what a great sport, yeah. And he, um, what a great sport. And he spent an hour or so, you know, and he said, thank you for everything you do, you know. So there is, there is somebody up there looking down, you know? Yeah, no, that's good. Because that could have been a go to jail impound car. Yeah, it could have been not quite as exciting as you would have thought. And, and really, my speedo was flicking up down. I had no, I knew I was doing 70 to 80, but apparently I was doing a little over, you know? Yes. And then he said, actually, what speed can this car really do, Mr. Axe? And that's well, probably 130, 140. But I've never done that, so, ever. So yeah, it was uh, a lot of good stories. The cars have really introduced me to a lot of great people and very humbling when you meet children, terminally ill and homeless children. It's very, very humbling and makes you appreciate what you have, you know? I'm, Certainly. I left home at 15 and I know it's hard, you know? And I try and educate these kids, hey, if I can do it, I'm self-made, you can do it. Sure. I started off with nothing, absolutely nothing. And then, speaking of that, if people were wanting to uh, find you and your cars online, where can they go and find you online? The uh, www.theenglishcar.com. And we put all these stories on there, any stories that, that's happened, you can go on the blog and see, and there's always a history on each car and different cars we've owned, and yeah, the theenglishcar.com. And then, what about on things like uh, Facebook and Instagram? That I. I don't know, you know, I don't know all social this media, it's all the English for. car, yeah, that's what my 14 year old son is for, it's all the English car, so I think Instagram Perfect. is the English car, it's all the English car, so, yeah. Well, Michael, I very much appreciate the time today, yeah, I mean, it's been a fantastic drive as we look out now right here to the wonderful uh, Pacific Ocean, and isn't some of these, isn't that just some incredible. of these frugal little shacks in Malibu that we've yes. got now, right? <laughs> what, 17 million dollar shacks, yeah. yeah. So it's, no, it's been an absolute pleasure and we'd like to thank everyone for listening and of course we'd love to hear your comments and thoughts in this video and if you've got any questions please let us know in the comments and we just look forward to seeing you next time. So thank you so much everyone for listening and watching and we'll see you next time. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thank you.